Welcome to the Outlaw Radio Show, a roughly one-hour, unscripted, interactive, conversational Bible study between a group of genuine misfits transformed by God's amazing grace. My name is Zach Adams. I am a Christ follower, husband of one, father of three, who's been incredibly blessed to pastor the greatest church ever, Calvary 316, which is located just outside of Athens, Georgia. If you'd like to learn more about the church, check out our website, which is calvary316.com. I am joined tonight in the studio by my brother, Mr. Justin Holcomb. Justin, welcome to the Outlaw Radio Show. Hey, thanks. So just a a little uh, kind of a a, a production note. You've got to project. You've got to be loud. You've got to really get into that mic, all right? Got to get my radio voice on. You got to get your radio voice on. So (laughs) we are joined in the studio by Justin. And uh, also in the studio, I'd like to welcome the man that needs no introduction, the maestro behind the madness, the producer of this dysfunction, my partner in crime, uh, Mr. Creighton Vaughn. Creighton, how's your week going? Uh, I'm still breathing. It's good. You're still (laughs) breathing, still doing all right? Yeah, I can't complain. Hey, there I'm you good. Go. Well, you can always complain, but it doesn't do you any good, right? And nobody here is going to listen. And no one cares. Uh, if you're new to the Outlaw Radio Show, let me quickly uh, explain how this show works. Uh, first, as we noted, the show is unscripted. I have no idea what we're going to be discussing tonight any more than you, the listening audience, knows. The only person that knows what we're going to be talking about this evening is Creighton, who will drop the topic in just a few minutes. Secondly, the show is interactive, and that's important because we are streaming live on both Facebook as well as YouTube. If God puts a, a question on your mind or impresses a thought on your heart, uh, please share it. And the way that you can do it is to leave a comment uh, in the comment section below the video. Again, whether you're watching on Facebook or YouTube. And throughout the show, Creighton, who's kind of the gatekeeper, uh, will relay any comments that are edifying, interesting, constructive, uh, worth sharing. Lastly, uh, while I will undoubtedly set the tone, the direction, um, the Outlaw Radio Show is designed to be conversational. Uh, It's a conversation on topics related to God's Word between friends and brothers. As such, anytime throughout the next roughly hour, uh, Justin, Creighton are free to interject a thought, ask a question, comment, or what have you. So with <clears throat> all of that out of the way, Creighton, what in the world are we going to be talking about this evening? Uh, so before we get to that, we do have our first comment of the night. Oh, right off from the bat. Our longtime friend, Jennifer. So hi, Jennifer. Jennifer, it's great to see you. Glad you're joining us. All right. So without further ado, uh, I figure it would be fun to talk about... Uh, what the first rule of warfare is, which is the first rule of warfare. Give me a little bit, a little bit more. Um, again, my job here is to take the topic, and we're going to craft a Bible study, and Justin's going to join right. the conversation. So when you're saying the first rule of warfare, um, obviously you're talking about probably spiritual warfare. Like we're not talking about guns and bullets. Right. And like, you know... Afghanistan and withdrawing troops. You're trying to speak of something in a different plane, right? Right. So the first rule of warfare is to know your enemy. So the question of the night is, does Satan think that he can win? Does Satan think that he can win? That's, a, that's an interesting question. The first rule of warfare, know your enemy. Uh, the Bible's clear that we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against spirits and principalities, powers, the darkness of this, this, this age. I believe that's Ephesians chapter 6. Um, therefore, we're to put on the whole armor of God. Uh, again, we, we are in a, a battle, um, but it's a battle within the, the spiritual realm. So you've got to know your enemy. And, and undoubtedly, Satan is the enemy. And so your question you know, does Satan really think he can win? Um, really opens up to a more ex- expansive conversation um, about about Lucifer. Specific to the question, does Satan think he can win? I have no idea. Um, Interesting. In the sense that, like, I don't... Like, we're not given a lot of insight, biblically speaking, into the thought processes behind Satan. Um, 
he's really not much of a central character. Um, I don't care if he thinks he can or can't win. Um, I'm not even sure that that's a relevant question or even something that, that, that Lucifer himself um, is considering. Am I going to win or not? Um, I, I, I would have to imagine um, that being an angelic creature, that, that Lucifer knows that his days are numbered, uh, that his fate has been sealed. I don't, I don't think in that sense, if I had to say one way or the other, I don't think he, he believes he's going to win. Um, but, but Lucifer is very delusional. So, again, trying to get your mind, you know, your mind into the mindset of the enemy is, is difficult. Regarding the spiritual warfare component of the question, and by the way, does that make sense? Just the, the, the initial thought yeah, to the question? Yeah, that's essentially where I would go as well. Basically, either he does or doesn't, and if he does, it's because he's delusional. But the question more to the more to, to, to flesh it out a bit more is if he doesn't or if he does, how does that affect the way that we should approach spiritual warfare and, and that, in the knowing your enemy? Absolutely. And I think, and I think that that's, uh, that's where we really get to the meat of, I think something um, that's important and not discussed um, enough. And, and one of the reasons that I, okay, so I come from, I come from a background very similar to you. Um, we both live in the South. We live in the Bible Belt. And, and we both come from non-denominational backgrounds. But by the pure um, fact of where we live, we have been exposed to more mainline denominations, more fundamentalist denominations, such as Baptists and whatnot. And, I mean, Satan is a big topic. You know, Satan is used to be kind of the boogeyman. You know, he's, he's you know... The, the fire uh, and brimstone preachers of the old, the, the revivals of old, you know, spoke a lot about Lucifer, a lot about Satan, a lot about the devil. And, and you know, and then we kind of, you know, well, the devil made me do it. And that, you know, every, every ill within society gets back to Satan, the influences of Satan. I, I'm <laughs> the movie, The Water Boy. Yes. You know, um, you know, it's Satan. You know, Benjamin Franklin is the devil. Everything, everything went back to uh, Satan, and, uh, and and we were reading into that. And I just, I think, I think we, we gave Satan too much, maybe either credit, press, publicity. Um, I don't spend a lot of my time from the pulpit or even personally thinking about Satan, you know, or thinking about demons or you know the the evil powers at work. And there are people that do. I mean, every sickness has a spirit, you know. Um, you know, someone buys a house, they want you to go and, and pray over it, make sure all the evil spirits are out. I mean, that stuff still happens, um, and it's still pretty common within kind of fundamental Christian communities. I, I've never really occupied a lot of my attention, time, and efforts into, into Satan. That being said, I, I think the, the, the flip side to it is that we don't, we don't, ask the question that you're asking enough. Like we like everything ends up being a pendulum. Everything's Satan and we don't and we completely ignore a conversation about Satan altogether. Um, which I think is probably the wrong reaction to have. Right. Either extreme is dangerous. Always. And so I, I do appreciate the question because it would it brings in a subject. It brings up a topic of conversation um, that, that I don't necessarily gravitate towards. But Again, if we do believe that we, <clears throat> we exist in the spiritual plane and that there are forces actively working contrary um, to Jesus, contrary to uh, the church, uh, you know, Jesus says that the gates of hell won't prevail against his church. That doesn't mean the gates of hell won't attempt to or try to or be active in, in, in doing that. Um, I, I would say that trying to unpack the, the, the topic. Let's, let's go, let's, let's get broad. I, before we do that, let, let me, let me throw it to Justin real fast. Justin, you know, you also kind of born and raised in the South, you know, the obsession with, you know, demons and you have any, any insight, any thought you want to just bounce off right before we kind of dive into a, a greater, larger conversation. Well, I mean, like you said, it is an important topic that I think a lot of people 
either talk about too much or they don't talk about at all. Right. Or enough. It's a good way of phrasing it. And I think as a believer, the ultimate enemy is death, but also Satan has been a big part of that. And, you know, we, we struggle not against flesh and blood, but, you know, the powers of the the air and stuff like that. And, and, And so it's an active part of the spiritual life and even the physical life, I think, in aspects of when you go to certain countries and stuff like that, where, where, you know, you, you, you start seeing some maybe possessed people or, or, or and things like that, and we can we can discuss that because I've got stories right. from Haiti as well, right? Yeah. And, and I think I think it's an important thing. Whereas I, I think Satan, going back to kind of the original one, is is Satan's first sin was pride, and I think he does believe he's going to win, or he has that pride of I'm better. I mean, he tried to. To overthrow God. So, I mean, right. how how prideful do you have to be to? <clears throat> well, let's like let's let me segue from that to I think um, correcting a few misconceptions that people have of Satan, um, and 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 let's get to some biblical understanding of, of, of who he is and 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 whatnot. Uh, Lucifer, Satan, the devil, Beelzebub, all kind of go by uh, the same name. Uh, Lucifer, Satan, um, is a created being. Um, he's uh, originally was an angel, um, the most majestic angel. Uh, most biblical scholars believe that he probably was of the unique category of cherubim. Um, we're told in scripture that he was the worship leader of heaven. Um, again, if you read the book of Revelation, you get a lot of glimpses into the heavenly scene. You understand that, that worship is a central component uh, to heaven, and the angels play an active role, specifically the cherubim, around the throne of God, holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, who is and was and who is to come. Um, the, the Bible tells us, so, so Lucifer is a created angelic being, more likely a cherubim, was at one point the most majestic and probably powerful of all of the angelic host. Um, you can read, and, and, and we won't dive into the actual passages of scripture, but um, two different places uh, that talk about the fall of Lucifer that, that Justin was kind of alluding to. Um, Isaiah chapter 14 um, is, one, is one place that you can go to and, and read a bit about it. And then the other, the other place uh, is Ezekiel 28. Uh, you can read, again, more about um, the fall of Lucifer. Um, not just falling on his own, but, but taking a third of the angelic host with him, uh, these fallen angels. Uh, one of the great questions about uh, Satan is the timing. Uh, first, we don't know when the angelic hosts were created within the Genesis record. Uh, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Um, a lot of people would, would think or at least theorize that, that the phraseology behind heavens, uh, that maybe, like, when did God create heaven? Uh, when did he create hell? Uh, we're not given the specific answer to that, but in all likelihood, either before the six days of creation or uh, within that first day, uh, the angelic hosts are brought into uh, existence. They're created, which is important because one of the great misconceptions of Satan is that um, that this battle is somehow uh, even, um, that you have Jesus on one side and you have Satan on the other side. And these two cosmic entities are battling out for the hearts and souls of, of, of mankind. Uh, that's lunacy. Uh, the Bible doesn't support that in any way. Jesus is God. Uh, he is the creator of all things, including Lucifer, including Satan. So, so Jesus is God, spoke all things into existence with just his words, uh, is omnipresent immutable, all-powerful. Lucifer is created, which means that Lucifer is, while being an angelic being, being a spiritual being, has the, uh, the ability to move interdimension, like within dimensions, has an interdimensionality to him, being a spiritual being, moving from heaven to earth and whatnot. Um, he is limited 
by time and space in that sense. Uh, Lucifer is not omnipresent. He's not everywhere. He's, he's bound to one place at a time. Um, so the, the idea that like, you know, Satan made me do it. You've, you've likely never had an interaction with Satan. Um, Satan is probably uh, more preoccupied with, with, with bigger things. Where is the throne of Satan? Uh, that's an interesting conversation. Uh, a lot of people talk about it being uh, the Temple of Zeus. I believe it was in Thessalonica. Um, and there's some interesting lore to that, and, and Hitler was obsessed with the Temple of Zeus. They actually uh, archaeologically took it apart and moved it to a museum in Berlin, and people thought, well, maybe that was like the throne of Satan, uh, Zeus. Um, who knows? Uh, but, but Lucifer is bound by space and time, and he's not all-knowing. Like, it's not like, like God, we're told, knows the end from the beginning, the beginning from the end. God knows all things. Uh, Lucifer doesn't. Uh, he doesn't have the infinite knowledge of infinite things. Um, he acquires information. He acquires data. And then he makes his decisions accordingly. But he's very limited. So this idea that we have Jesus battling out Satan is just hogwash. Uh, we have creator and created thing. And that is what Lucifer is. He's a created being. Created by God. A great illustration of kind of the, the interactions uh, you'll find in Matthew chapter 4 and uh, what's, what's known as kind of the, the wilderness temptation of Jesus where uh, Jesus is led into the wilderness by the Spirit. This is uh, right before he begins his earthly ministry, right after he's been baptized by John the Baptist. And while in the wilderness, fasting for 40 days and 40 nights, Lucifer comes, Satan, and tempts Jesus. Um, and Jesus doesn't have to, like, like, there's not a battle. Like, Jesus would just respond with the word of God, and that was the end of it. Like, there's no, <laughs> there's no great battle royale in the heavenly space. Now, in regards to timing, like, okay, so, so what, what motivated Lucifer to sin? As Justin mentioned, uh, we're told in the Bible that, uh, that his heart was filled with pride and he was jealous of the worship of God. He wanted the worship of uh, the worship that was due to God. Uh, he he wanted it for himself. It, it's it's been said that you're in a dangerous place anytime you touch the glory. Uh, it's a good it's a good uh, point of application for pastors um, who are serving the Lord and representing the Lord. Uh, the Lord needs to be glorified through you. Uh, you don't want to touch the glory. It's a dangerous thing to touch the glory. Um, in fact, uh, there's a story in the, the middle of Leviticus where Aaron's two sons um, touched the glory and God struck them dead. Um, it's a dangerous place to be. And so Lucifer leading the worship of the angelic host, the, the worship of God, ends up in jealousy wanting that worship unto himself. Um, again, I... I don't know if, and Justin kind of made this point, I'm not sure if it was a rebellion in the sense that, that Lucifer was delusional enough to think that somehow he was going to overthrow God. I think Lucifer wanted to be God, or at least have a sliver of the glory, a sliver of the authority. Now, the question is when and where, how, what's the timing of Lucifer's fall from heaven? Like, how did all this happen? And I think the timing is interesting. Um, and Craig, I, I don't know if I'm going the right direction here with your question, but Again, I want to unpack just the background of Lucifer. Um, so if, if, if I'm going in a direction that, that was not intended, let me know. Uh, no, you're going fine. Okay. This isn't quite where I was expecting, but I'm enjoying it. So well, this roll. is an unscripted show, so this yeah. is how it rolls. So Absolutely. when you get into the timing, you know, there, there's what's known as the gap theory. So there's, there is an idea within um, some theological circles that say that between uh, you know, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Uh, the earth was without form and void darkness that between verses one and verse two, um, you have God created and then Lucifer fell. And so what we read as the creation account is actually the recreation that without form and void darkness, uh, sin entered through Satan. The problem, I have a big problem with that because we're told that, that, that sin uh, entered through Adam. Um, sin did not enter through Lucifer. I, I would think that if Lucifer had, 
had sinned before the, the creation of Adam, God could have just wiped out the angelic host and started over. Like they, they were, they were just part of creation meant for the crescendo of creation, God's relationship with man. Like angels were not a, a big deal in that regard. I am of the opinion, and I know you've heard me share this before, uh, that, that Lucifer actually fell from heaven. And again, this gives us some insight in the act of tempting Adam and Eve. Um, that when we read about him, him wanting the worship that was meant for God, um, that it was in the act of deceiving Adam and Eve, saying, God's holding out on you. Um, you can be your own God. Um, that that he was he was trying to take um, from God his most cherished possession, and then place that possession within now his own realm. He was taking something that was only meant for God. Um, I think it makes sense logically. First, again, Ezekiel twenty eight, we're told that Lucifer was given dominion over Eden. Um, you know, you just play out the story. So if you're Eve, right, and, um, you know, Adam is like, hey, let's, let's go pick some fruit. Uh, you go that way. I'll go this way. Uh, remember that whole tree thing. Um, we want to stay away from that. And so you're, you're, you know, Eve making her way around. And, and you know, she sees, the, she sees the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And, and, and then the snake comes slithering up, probably not slithering up, crawling because it Probably had some type of feet because those get removed in the curse. Um, you know, it comes up and is like, hey, I'm a snake, but guess what? I'm going to tell you about God, and he's holding out on you. Yeah, I'm the authority on this. Like, first, talking snake, not great credibility. Uh, what, what's the authority? Now, we do know that obviously Satan was using this situation. I, I'm, I'm much more of the opinion that, that when we read of the serpent, um, and, and you go to Genesis 3 and read of this exchange, I don't think it was a literal serpent. Um, I think that we are given um, vernacular imagery that then plays itself out through the rest of Scripture because Satan is always referred to as what? The great serpent of old. He's a snake. I think it was actually Lucifer and his glory, this angelic being, this cherubim coming down, interacting with Eve. Again, she would have known him. He would have known her because he had dominion over the, the, the Garden of Eden. And so if it's Lucifer, you know, with this sales pitch to Eve, you know, I mean, not to provide any excuse for Eve, but it makes more sense, logically speaking, why she would listen to him at all. Like, well, I mean, maybe you know something I don't. Like, you're the most powerful thing around. And then when you look at the curse, you know, God curses you know, God curses Adam and then he curses Eve. And then when you read within the curse, um, I, I think, I think it's, it's figurative language purely applicable to, to Satan himself. I don't think it was an actual snake again. The point is that from that point forward, Lucifer takes on this role of being the accuser of the brethren, the, the, the great accuser. Now, sure, uh, he is active in the sense of, of tempting us into sin, um, enticing us just like he did with Eve, um, twisting the word of God to justify um, us engaging in behaviors that, that we shouldn't. Um, yes, Lucifer has control, um, largely speaking, over, over what happens. Um, he's, he's referred to as the prince um, of the air. You know, that, that he, is, he is roaming like a roaring lion. He is given a measure of dominion. Presently, not only does he have a dominion here in this fallen world, the spirit of being in control of what's known as the spirit of Babylon, driving this, this culture that is becoming more and more godless, antithetical to the people of God, to the, the purposes of God. Again, Satan's whole goal is to mar God's creation. What, he was, what was created in the image and likeness of God. Again, angels were not created in the image and likeness of God. We were humanity. And so I think recognizing um, God's love for man, uh, Satan has always been actively resisting, marring, 
not just humanity as a whole, but then you can get into like anti-Semitism and some of the direct uh, specific satanic attacks on the messianic lineage. Again, Satan knew what his fate would be. It would be through the seed of the woman, through a virgin conceiving that God would come himself um, and through his work would save man. He would be bitten on his heel, but would crush Satan's head, that, that, that Satan's ultimate fate uh, was, was determined by Jesus. Again, you, you go back to Genesis chapter 6, you start looking at the sons of God coming into the daughters of men, what all's happening there. Again, dilute the gene pool, makes it impossible for a savior to come. You know, you get to Haman in the story of Esther and satanic attacks there. You get, you know, Pharaoh wanting to wipe out the, the Jewish people and the, and the babies, like, throughout, and all the way down to Hitler and, and uh, Antiochus Epiphanes within the Grecian Empire. There's always been this spirit of Antichrist. Um, Satan, our enemy, will lose. I think that's an important, that's an important point. Now, I mean, he's going to take this earth to hell, uh, but he will lose. In fact, you know, I think one of the greatest illustrations, examples, of just how things are, are stacked against him. You know, when you're, when you're in the book of Revelation and you're looking at, you know, what happens with the second coming of Jesus Christ. And so Jesus comes back to earth with the saints puts down the Antichrist, you know, the, the armies of the world. The Antichrist, the false prophet, are cast into the lake of fire. And yeah, there's some great things that begin to happen. The elect are gathered from the four corners of the earth. There's a restoration uh, that takes place really over about 45 days, according to some of the prophecies presented in Daniel, Daniel chapter 12 and whatnot. That being said, there's a moment where before we enter the millennial kingdom, this thousand years where Jesus rules and reigns on this earth, um, we're told that an angel is sent uh, to arrest Satan. And, and there's no fight. There's no battle. There's, you know, it happens. He's bound, he's chained, and he's thrown into the bottomless pit for a thousand years. Like, and, and I like to think that it wasn't, you know, that, that the angel for that job is probably the scrawniest, wimpiest, <laughs> uh, most dinky, uh, angel, you know, you know, got glasses, robes way too big. A real insult to injury kind of thing. Right, right. Like, like the weeniest of all of the angels. God made specifically for this moment of like, y y you've never been a match. Um, and, and this is not a fair fight. Um, because it isn't. Um, I think, again, knowing your enemy... And how that applies to spiritual warfare. First, yeah, there is a real enemy. Um, but the Bible tells us that greater is he that is in us that is than he who is in the world. Speaking of the enemy. When we're talking about that spiritual battle, it's real. Um, we should be ready. We should be cognizant of it. But we should always remember um, that, that Jesus is on our side. And, and one of the things that I love about the way in which Jesus handled Lucifer, Satan, in the wilderness temptation is, again, Jesus could have been like, squish, be gone with you, uh, thought a thought, and he just disappeared. I mean, Jesus could have handled the situation um, in all kinds of ways that would have been unique to Jesus. But the way that he handles Lucifer those three times, anyone want to take a guess? What does Jesus do? Just he, speaks the word to him? He speak. he quotes scripture. He speaks the word of God. He quotes scripture. Meaning that the very tool that Jesus used, the word of God, is the same tool that we have, and it is an adequate tool. Again, when you're looking through Ephesians 6 in the armor of God, you know, we, we are given an offensive weapon. You know, yes, we have a lot of armor that is geared towards protecting us, um, defensive in nature, but we are given an offensive weapon. Like, we are not just passive when it comes to the spiritual warfare, that we are active, and it is the sword of the Spirit. It is the Word of God. 
Jesus, you know, out of his mouth came a double-edged sword. Uh, we're not talking about just a dagger, you know, something that, you know, that, that you, know, you work in tight quarters. We're, it's not a steak knife. It is, it is the word that's used. It's a, it's a six-foot-long, double-edged, double-bladed battle axe, battle sword. You know, a Game of Thrones style. Great sword. Great sword that only the most skilled willed. And I mean, and you don't, you do massive damage. It is an offensive, we're on the attack type of weapon. And that's what we've been given. Satan is not a match. Satan exists. I will also add to, to this particular topic, um, kind of, I think, a misconception um, around, um, again, this battle. Can Christians be possessed absolutely not because we've been possessed by the very definition of it if you are a born again believer you're born again in what way well your spirit has been replaced by the holy spirit you have been possessed and dwelt by the spirit of god which is why when the bible says greater is he that is in me speaking of the holy spirit uh, you know, he is greater than he is in the world. And so I've already been possessed by the Holy Spirit. And the Bible says, well, what fellowship does Christ have with Belial, with, with light and darkness? And so I'm already occupied. I cannot be as a believer, as a Christ follower, as a, a Holy Spirit-filled individual. I cannot be possessed uh, by an evil spirit, a demon. I can be oppressed which again ties into the spiritual warfare. Will you encounter Satan? No, very unlikely. But will you encounter again, principalities, powers, demons? Yeah, absolutely. Can you be possessed? No. Can you be oppressed? Absolutely. Can you be attacked? No doubt. Can you be tempted into sin? Even as a Christian, we've all been there. We've all experienced it. A great book for those that are, are maybe more interested in and in more insight into that whole dynamic of, of, of reality is a great classic written by C.S. Lewis called The Screwtape Letters. And it's an elder demon writing letters to a younger demon, giving him advice on how he needs to go about tempting and ruining this person's life. And, and it's so real, so dark, but so real that, that you feel, you know, you'll be reading something like, I, that's happened to me. And, and, and you start placing that reality. You start realizing, hey, wow, there is way more going on uh, around me. Um, what I love about the topic um, is, is that we, we have been lulled, I think, generally speaking. Be, we've become desensitized uh, to, like, we think this is reality. That what we see, what we feel, what we experience, this three-dimensionality, that, that this is the reality. This is what is. Uh, what we fail to consider and to think about is that um, reality transcends this three-dimensional space. That there is a lot more going on around us that is just as real as us that we get desensitized, that we don't think about, that we don't consider. You know, Elijah. I think it was Elijah. Maybe Elisha. You know, the, Elijah, Elisha. So I'm glad, I'm glad we, we put two prophets back to back with such similar names. Who interact with each other. <laughs> right, who interact with each other. But there's a story where, you know, the Syrian army, you know, comes out, you know, just for this one guy. And it's the, uh, uh, his servants all freaked out, you know, there's an army. And Elijah's like, yeah, man, that's not, that's not reality. Like you can't see it. And, and then the veil was pulled from his eyes and he sees like the angelic host ready to, ready to move, you know, like, like that, the, there's the army of God. Like the, for us, we, we need to constantly be more aware um, that our reality transcends just what we can see. And I think if we become more just sensitive to that, again, I'm not saying or advocating looking for Satan's influence in everything. Um, but I think we should look and, and be more aware of just the very real evil that does exist around us um, and how it 
how it influences and impacts the world in which we live. I, I, I watch, you know, occasionally I'll turn on like the MTV Music Awards just to see what's going on in culture. Man, it is crazy at how absolutely demonic um, our culture has become. Like just even some of the imagery that's used, the, the abject sexuality, the perversion behind it all. Um, right. People thought metal was bad in the 80s. But the stuff that's going on right now blows it out of the water. Yeah. I mean, you thought, oh, Ozzy Osbourne is a Satan worshiper because he, you know, supposedly tore the head off of a, you know. You know, you look, you look at the worship of Molech in the Old Testament. And, and, and it was an abomination because of the child sacrifice. You know, sacrificing their children to Molech or to Baal. The, the interesting thing is... Um, how many children has our culture sacrificed in the womb? Like the whole abortion industry is like what, you know, we, we, this is, this is one of those things that I think is important. I did an episode. This was man. One of the early episodes of the outlaw radio show, but there had been, there was a mass shooting. Uh, it was, <laughs> I, I remember it was actually the, the Las Vegas shooting, which was the, um, the largest mass casualty shooting in American history. I think 56 people died. Justin, do, do you do you remember the number? You you remember what I'm talking about? The Vegas shooting. I wasn't in the country, but I remember I remember the shooting happened. Uh, and we still do this. They have no idea what was motivating the guy. But immediately, like anytime you see these mass casualty events, when you see the demonstration of just mankind at its worst, there is the inclination within our culture to look for, to pinpoint causation. We want to come up with a cause, a reason, so that we have something to blame and therefore fix, and it makes us feel better about ourselves. And then a lot of times, you know, it was um, mental health issues, or it was, uh, you know, I remember, remember the, the time where, you know, the Republicans were on the, you know, these violent video games are causing the, the downfall of our society. You know, it's contributing to these, these acts of violence, what happened at Columbine, uh, these violent video games. Like, we look for something to blame. Um, what, about, what about the forces of evil? Um, sometimes what's to blame is demon possession is demonic influence. Um, again, Satan hates mankind because we are created in the image and likeness of God. And he hates the people of God that have been saved by Jesus. Um, he will do everything he can to destroy, to manipulate and to destroy what God has created. To the point that you look at the, the, by the end of the book of Revelation, like Jesus said that if he, if, he, if he didn't shorten the days and come back, nothing would survive. I mean, that's what Satan is wanting to do. That is his intention. His intention in your life and my life is to steal from us, to kill us, and to destroy us. He does not have our best interests at heart. He wants to ruin our lives. I, you know, I think back to one of the starkest examples of, of how this works in, in, a, in a practical sense. This is the story of Job. You know, Job is a righteous man. God has blessed him abundantly. Wife, kids, wealth. First two chapters of Job open with Lucifer, again the accuser, in heaven. And he is talking with God. And God says, hey, have you noticed my man Job? What a righteous dude. And Satan's so like, yeah, he's a righteous guy because you've just blessed him. Like, if you remove that blessing, he's going to curse you. And so God says, okay, well, I will allow you to remove these blessings. Uh, you just can't, you can't mess with his physical person. And so what happens? Like, like in one day... Job's life completely falls apart. His kids die. His wealth is lost. Like the only thing he's left with 
is a nagging wife who's telling him to die and a group of terrible friends, you know, bad counselors. Um, I think this, I remember this because it's one of my favorite things in the Bible. I think the only recorded uh, words we have from his wife are Job, curse God and die. Curse God and die. Like she was a winner. A true winner. Fellas. <laughs> That's what you're looking for. That's what you're looking for. But, but Job, again, is devastated. He's dealing with the human suffering of it all. Um, but he doesn't curse God. And so Satan comes back and is like, well, the only reason he didn't is because you didn't let me mess with him physically. And so God's like, okay, you just can't kill him. So Job then gets afflicted with these, bo- these boils, you know, and he's sitting in the ashes of what was his house using shards of pottery, scratching himself, you know? And then that's when his friends are like, so what did you do to deserve it, you know? And, you know, and, and Job, is, you know, starts asking some of the why questions. You know, he, he's never read the first two chapters. He doesn't know that there's this whole thing going on. But he doesn't. He remains, he remains noble. He remains righteous. We're given that story to help us realize that that God is very much in control. That Satan, again, you said the first rule of warfare is to know your enemy. He's a beaten enemy. He's a defeated enemy. Jesus, for the three days in, in the tomb, Satan might have thought in that deluded state that, that, that he had gained a victory. But at the resurrection, his fate was sealed. Like, and then with the outpouring of the Holy Spirit filling individuals, yes, Satan is real. Yes, demons, fallen angels, all of that is real. Um, yes, it's something that is real enough that we need to be cognitive, that we need to put on the whole armor of God. But don't forget, he's a beat. He, he he's a defeated enemy, and you are given. All the tools that you need to combat that enemy. And that is the sword of the Spirit. It's the Word of God. Justin, you have any thoughts just about the topic, generally speaking? And then, Cray, I want to get back to you just to uh, share some of your thoughts of the motivation behind the question and this, that, and the other. I, so, I think the, the natural pr- propensity to, to understand who Satan is just look at the look at us fallen creatures tend to do the same thing and, right. and we we tend to do we tend to the further away we move from god we tend to look more similar to to what that that means um so you end up doing the same stuff as satan did you you tend to start moving toward uh, doing the exact opposite of what god's law says to do and you you tend to follow the same <laughs> you know the the original sin is pride you know right. satan it was pride you know and we actually talked about this briefly last week on last week's episode but you know pride is just um it is the 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 detached disconnected view of oneself it's a view of self not tethered to the reality uh, humility in contrast is having an accurate view of self Pride, you know, when we talk about what, what Lucifer began to see himself in a way not tethered to reality, the further that we move away from God, the further we move away from Jesus, the further we move away from the cross and grace, the essence of it all, uh, the more we become detached with the appropriate view of self. And that's why you see a lot of these problems that, that arise in any, any culture, any point in history where you see the fall of, of, of a culture they start moving further away from God and start becoming detached, like you said. So, And the self-worship, the self-adulation, the hedonism. The hedonism. I mean, again, you know, it's, it's you know, Satan, you know, Satan wanted to be a replacement God. Um, we fall into the same trap. You know, everybody, Bob Dylan saying, everybody serves somebody. Um, we, are, we are created beings created to worship. You cannot detach yourself from that reality. You have been created to worship. You will worship and serve something. 
whether it is Jesus who is worthy or money or fame or an insecurity or yourself. Like there is a throne and it's occupied. And, and what was Satan? I, you know, and I don't even think Satan cares about being worshipped. You know, what, what was his, you know, his whole, his whole gig with Eve was to convince her that she could be her own God. Like, again, all Satan wants to do is to take what is, what God deserves and replace it with something. And he doesn't even care if it's himself. It can be you. And man, you look, you want to talk about a culture that worships itself. You know, we, we live in a, 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 nar- a very narcissistic, nihilistic culture where it is, it is, you know, the unholy trinity of me, myself, and I. That drives it all. Um, you know, I, I will add, and I think that this kind of ties in a little bit with, with what you were saying. The other misconception about Satan is that, is that he is somehow ugly. You know, Satan was the, the most beautiful. He was an angel of light. He was was and is Satan is not living in hell. His headquarters are not in hell. Satan doesn't want to be in hell. Hell was created for Satan. He doesn't want to be there. He's not chilling out with his bro, his bro hammers and in, in hell, uh, you know, grilling out like that, the, the, the misconception we have of Satan that he's wearing a red suit with a pointy tail and a pitchfork, you know, and horns like, you know, Satan Satan is a deceiver. And he knows scripture. And he warps the truth to his end. Which is why we have to be on guard and have to be careful. Um, and things that are, that are beautiful, that doesn't always mean uh, they're godly. Um, or safe. Uh, Creighton, what... what uh, kind of give me a little bit of feedback, a little, some of your thoughts just about about this particular topic episode, kind of where we've gone with it. So it's not exactly where, where I was expecting to go. Cause this actually wasn't my question. This was one of uh, Kyle Parkins. Okay. Um, and the way that he was thinking more was along the lines of if Satan doesn't believe that he can win, do you think that he is just playing a role or if he's trying to take as many of us with him as he can? Like, if that's his motivation, is just to misery loves company. He just wants to grab as much of us as he can on his way down. I don't think Satan cares at all about us. I think we are collateral damage. Interesting. Well, I think what Satan, Satan hates God. And I think, I think Satan is singularly focused on going after the very thing like, he just wants to hurt God. So he'll hurt God however he has to hurt God. Um, you know, again, putting too much thought into the motive, like what motivates, you know, let, let's be real. Satan can't do anything without the permission of God. That's an interesting concept. Uh, it's reinforced by the book of Job. Um, it's, it's, you find multiple um, examples of that reality. Um, he is the tempter. He can't do anything without permission. Um, what his mind frame is, you know, again, is Satan even a free willed creature at this point? Um, I mean, he's already made a free willed decision to rebel. That means his fate sealed. He can't ex- like, it's not like Satan has the freedom to repent. Right. Again, I think, I think part of the, the, in the, speaking to Kyle, I think part of the disconnect, part of the, 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 what makes answering that question, getting into the nuances of it very difficult, is we're, we're actually, um, like the question is based on um, us trying to interpret a dynamic within the angelic host from the context of our, our humanity. So as a human, like, like we're trying to read into Lucifer from, from the concepts of like that, that Lucifer and, and human beings that, that we share some type of a plane or identity. 
we're you trying. Know what I mean? We're trying to interpret 4D chess on a 3D chess board. Right. Absolutely. Well, or I mean, and and I would say that the the way more complex being, uh, we are the 4D chess. So it, it'd be like, or, or even a more sim, more simplistic analogy. Um, humanity is very complex. Uh, we are chess. You know, there's 12 moves to a move. There's foresight, hindsight. You know, there's a whole, whole, whole amount of very deep anal- analytical uh, uh, ideas associated with the game itself. Like we are complex. Um, it would be it would be like taking the basic uh, rules of of chess and trying to use all of that to make sense of checkers. The two don't com- like. Yeah, there may be some similarities. You have you have pieces, flat board, squares, two players. Like there but are. But they're not su- the same game. This they, well, and and they're not even the same depth of complexity. Humanity, like we still possess free will. We were created in the image and likeness of God. Uh, you know, there's there's so there's so much um, about humanity that differs from the angelic host. Um, a lot in, in a lot of ways, the angelic host is different than us, and yet, and yet, the, the essence of the question is to try to make sense of Satan through the prism of how humanity deals with things. And 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 I think I think that there's a big problem within that because it's 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 not just apples to oranges. But isn't what what you were saying? Satan wants to hurt God, and aren't we what God loves the most? Yes, no, for, and for so sure. to, for for him to want to hurt God, he wants to hurt us, and th- at that point we become the focus. Not his focus is on hurting God, and the thing that God loves most is us. So, therefore, we would be the focus at that point of. True, but the greater question of like, well, what motivates him if he knows his fate is sealed? why would he be doing what he's doing now? Like, again, we're trying to, we're trying to interpret some, we're trying to interpret the behaviors of an, of an angel through the prism of how humans make decisions. Um, Satan existed. Like he is in, in that, there are aspects in which angels are a superior being. Hebrews talks about this. That being said, we're the redeemed. We were in the image and likeness of God. And so, again, that's what I'm just saying, like, like to get to the particular essence of that question. Um, Satan doesn't have free will. Uh, Satan can't do anything without the permission of God. Um, you know, he is a, a, a rational being. Um, but, like, did he really, did he really, like, was there any logic or reason uh, to think that he could somehow... Um, convince Jesus to bow down before him and then he would give him the world. Like, like, like again, we're trying to interpret the motivation behind decisions Satan's making through a certain prism that I'm not sure is, is connected or tethered to the way that it is. You see what I'm saying? That, that makes, that makes sense. Yeah. That makes sense to me. Yeah. It's not a dodge at all. It's, it's, it's more of like, I think, the question overthinks itself. Square peg, round hole. Yeah. What motivates? Does, does okay? Does anything motivate Satan? I mean, he hates God. Maybe that's the singular motivation. Are there plans? You know, is you know, like, is he just just a, a wrecking ball? Like, right? Maybe. We don't know. You, gotcha. know, you you get into you know you look at the other the other side of the angelic coin, you know. You know, angels don't operate on their own. Um, they're, they're sent with messages. Yeah. I guess no one really asks what Gabriel's motivations are. Yeah. Um, they do what they're told uh, again. They're, they're different. And I think trying to like, it's, it's, it, it gets into like some of the dangers of, you know, the trying to under like the anthropomorphizing. Yes of of God, you know, trying to trying to make sense of certain 
God's specific characteristics from a human vantage point, um, there's a massive limitation to how, like, to how we can understand God because we're limited by humanity. Like, so we do our best, but it just means we're not God. It's a similar thing in the sense of like, like angels are not human beings. Uh, angels are not even similar to human beings. Um, so trying to, you know, it'd be like trying to like talk like what was really the motivation of that armadillo crossing the road in the middle of the night? <laughs> you know, like, well, I'm not sure the armadillo was really, it was nighttime, you know, it was just. Smelled something on the other side of the road. Wasn't really thinking it through. Like, like you know, like, you know. All in all, I think you did answer the question well. It went, didn't go the direction that I was expecting. But I did enjoy it. Well, that's good. Um, I thought It's unscripted, nice, so there's not a direction. Like, it's... Yeah, I thought doing, like, a nice I like uh, the history topic. of I think Satan the topic was nice. Was good. Again, I would encourage everyone to, I mean, check out the Screwtape Letters. Uh, we've got almost no time left. Um, but Justin, you're very well traveled. Um, do you see more supernatural elements in third world countries, other developing countries versus Western culture? Yes. Uh, like you're saying before, Satan's, he's intelligent. He's going to use what works to fulfill his goals. And uh, I, th- I think I think it's C.S. Lewis that talks about this, where the Western mindset is more scientific. He's going to go that route rather right. than a direct approach that you would in a in a third world country that has more mysticism based uh, ideals and stuff like that. So I think uh, I think the aspect of demons and stuff like that possession is going to be more prevalent. Yeah, in third world countries. But uh, there's some other weird aspects that I've, I've... I don't know if you want to get in this topic. But no, we don't have the, we don't yeah, have all the time. But it's, uh, it starts getting into more scientific-based stuff like, I think, like aliens and stuff like that. Um, it, it gets different a topic Different topic, different, different day. day. But, you know... I was in, I was in Haiti uh, some years back. And, uh, and I, I, I absolutely 100% agree with you in the sense of, like, you know, Satan... Satan is a chameleon in the sense that like, he has certain strategies, but he tailors those to the societies. Uh, we, we don't see, I don't think we see uh, quite the same, like we don't see like um, a lot of examples of things that we, we witness within the New Testament um, within our culture. Some of the, the miracles, um, some of the like demon possession, like overtly. I mean, again, you, you read through the Gospels, Jesus is constantly casting out demons um, kind of a central component uh, but he's but he's healing people of blindness uh, radical miracles uh, the miraculous was very was very prevalent I don't think we see a lot of that in today's culture um, because again like you said we're very scientific we're very modernized um, you know sometimes you have to heal someone of blindness in the third world because there's no other way they can be healed of it in America you have a doctor that can you know fix the cataract um, same miracle, restoring sight, um, different mechanism. Um, and Haiti, third world, it's one of the poorest countries in the, in the Western Hemisphere, at least. But, um, yeah, straight up demon possessions, national religions like Catholic voodoo and zombies, people rolling their the eyes, rolling the back of their heads, walking around like just crazy stuff. Um, overt demonism crazy though is you see like you see more miraculous like overtly miraculous things take place also like and so within culture like where there's great miracles you also see well it goes back to like um uh, moses takes his rod throws it down before pharaoh becomes a snake pharaoh's like cool has his magicians do the same thing you know Miracle, miracle. Then Moses is eats, eats theirs and, you know, more powerful. But, um, anyway, Justin, 
Thank you for being on the Outlaw Radio Show it's my tonight. Pleasure. Creighton, it is always a pleasure. I hope you've enjoyed the Outlaw Radio Show. While the show is live streamed every Wednesday night, the audio uh, is released on our podcast the following morning, Thursday. If you've yet to subscribe, our podcast is hosted on Apple, Google, Spotify. For quick links, you can just visit outlawradio.org. If you're already a podcast listener, Check out the live show every Wednesday night at 8 p.m. You can watch via our YouTube channel, outlawradio.live, or by visiting facebook.com slash outlaw. Once again, my name is Zach Adams, and I hope you join us this time next week for another episode of The Outlaw.